Some songs are meant to be slow burns, and some are supposed to be like, hey, turn the radio on. Hi, and welcome back to Music at Three Pines, the podcast. My name is Brad Rayleigh, and today's podcast is a conversation with Liz Longley. We first learned of her through another music brand and then joined in our Kickstarter for her 2020 album, Funeral for My Past. We have become big fans and have dug back into her catalog for other amazing albums. I highly recommend all of her music. We still have yet to see her perform live, but hopefully that will occur after this pandemic. We talk about the pandemic, but also about that Kickstarter, one that raised a shocking $150,000 in her approach to songwriting. Liz is a delightful person, and I hope you will enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Liz Longley. So, well, I won't. Uh, let's, let's dig in. First, what I've been doing is talking about how the pandemic has affected you, how you're responding to it. Things like self-care, um, you know, how, how are you finding ways to keep your mental health stable mm-hmm. is that the question how yeah, many, that is hard. Keep my okay. <laughs> uh good question i feel like it's ever changing um you know at the beginning of all this i had my first panic attack and then many many more so i've tried to figure out how to handle that and the best thing has been eating really healthy. Like mm-hmm. that's at the beginning of this, that was not the case. It kind mm-hmm. of was like, you know what? It's a crappy year. I'm going to eat crap. And then, you know, when this started going on longer, I realized I have to take care of myself to get myself through this. So that's been hugely important. And um, I'm so lucky that I have a great partner and a great family and a great dog that helped keep me sane and let me process all my feelings. And, and, you know, honestly, um, I love my job. I feel like being a musician is, I'm so lucky that that's my job. And so I've just been pouring myself into that. I think, I think the fact that I have a record coming out this year is that I, you know, it already came out, but the fact that I did gave me something to work toward and focus on and put my energy into. It's not the most ideal time to put out a record, but in some ways I feel like it saved me mentally. So, yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize, by the way, until I was just reading on on your webpage that this was originally an album that was going to come out uh, in a di- uh, earlier, right? I mean, so mm-hmm. um, I know everybody pretty much when they saw Funeral for My Past, when that first came out, you know, I'm thinking about everything related to the pandemic, which, of course, you wrote that song well before any yes. of this. Um, it's yeah. It reminds me about a, a Mark Arelli. I don't know if you know Mark. Um, yes. So his album is Blindsided, which is also, you know, an album that very much that song sounds like it could be just about the pandemic, just about, you know, the political dysfunction. But of course, it's not. And so there's that dual meaning, which is is uh, interesting. 
Um, you know, I, I know some artists talk about this, and it's something that I've had, I've seen pop up a couple times in my writing process. Is just you write something, and then it feels like it comes true. Like sometimes you, it's like intuitively. No, I'm not saying that at all about my record in the pandemic. There's no way in hell that right. I knew this was coming. <laughs> um, but like, um, even just like a shift in your life, sometimes you start writing about something, and and then it happens, and it's kind of this weird thing about songwriting where you don't always know exactly where it's coming from or if it's a sign or, huh. or if you're creating it or. Yeah. Right. Have you found, by the way, uh, speaking of writing, um, Mary Bragg was saying that the, she's a homebody. She kind of appreciates the dedicated time she can devote to writing that if she's touring, especially with a band, she doesn't have the right or the ability to do that. Um, what about you? Gosh, Mary has always been someone that I looked up to so much in terms of how structured she seems with her writing. Like she, she just never stops. And and she and you know pre pandemic she was co writing a lot, and I was lucky to write a few songs with her, and we had a great time. But I've always admired that about her, her drive in writing. I have a little bit of a different uh, approach, and I wish that I didn't, but I do. Um, whereas I kind of come in and out of writing. Mm phases in my life so like uh, before I started writing for funeral for my past I I had gone at least a year without writing anything on my own and that kind of started overwhelming me and then I realized that I had a lot to to work through and then I poured it into the music but it's like it had to bottle up in me and then I was like here's what I've been going through so right now with with putting out a record and all that's going on in the world I have not been writing very much at all. But I am today sitting here in my parents' house where uh, they live in Pennsylvania. I came up here to visit them for my mom's birthday and the house is empty. They still have to work. Um, so when they go to work, the house is empty and that's how I grew up writing. I write best when nobody is home. And yeah, so I started writing today for the first time in a really long time. But when I'm home in Nashville, uh, my fiance Patrick and I we both work from home, so I don't yeah. get into the writing mode as easily. You know, yeah. I feel like someone will hear me, and I have work to do. You know, I'm my own manager, my own my uh, my own my own team most of the time, so yeah. I have to I have to work a lot, and so maybe that's part of my problem. I can't turn that part of my brain off. Well, I I just have a lot of sympathy for uh, for both of those. Uh, I was thinking, by the way, when you were saying about during the pandemic having not written, Mark Arelli made I, I did a, a podcast with him a couple of weeks ago, which was uh, really awesome because he's one of my musical heroes. I mean, I just, wow. just just love him. Yeah, he's brilliant. And he he mentioned something called emotional composting. That. You know, that it takes when something happens and he didn't originate it, but he was tapping into it from a writer's perspective. And this is what yeah. made me think of you in terms of even your description of how you wrote Funeral for My Past. Yeah. That stuff was there. It had to percolate. It had to kind of cook its way through the system. And so he said about the pandemic, he said, I think we're going to get some really great art out of this. But it may take some time, you know, before people can process what what's happened because it's a lot. I agree. I agree. And that's nice just to hear another artist say that because I think when it started happening, I think a lot of artists were like, I think there there felt like this little bit of a pressure to write about it. Yeah. And it, it's, yeah. it's still unfolding. Our lives are still changing and we're still trying to understand it. So it's a lot to process and everybody's been through a whole hell of a lot this year. So I definitely think there will be art to come from it, but I definitely agree that it will take, it might take time. Yeah. Well, 
Um, let me ask you, if you don't mind, about your musical background. I uh, realized I had read, and finally I double-checked to make sure I wasn't imagining things, that you're a Berkeley grad. Um, yes. I studied songwriting at Berkeley. That was my Songwriting, major. okay. All right. Yeah. How many instruments yeah. do you play? I play guitar and piano, and I used to play clarinet and a little bit of saxophone, but that doesn't happen anymore. Did, which, did you start guitar or, or piano first? Piano when I was eight. And then uh -huh. I kind of started fooling around with guitar when I was a teenager. And then when I got to Berkeley, you know, all through my high school years, I was a piano player. And when I was in ninth grade, my Spanish teacher asked me to sing at her wedding. And she said, but I want acoustic guitar. And I said, but I don't play acoustic guitar and I don't know how to. And I don't have that much time to learn it. So... I found a friend in, uh, I didn't, I, she wasn't a friend at the time, but I made a friend in Sarah Zimmerman, who is now a very accomplished guitar player uh, for striking matches. And, oh, uh, yeah. Yes, yes. So we grew up playing music together for five, six years, just the two of us playing shows all the time. So I didn't have to learn guitar because Sarah could play guitar and I just would play a few chords and that was it. But then once we went separate ways for college, I was like, okay, I got to dig into this a little bit. So I took a few guitar classes in Berkeley and just kind of learned from out of necessity, you know? Yeah. But now it's, I love it. I love it more than piano most times. So do you write on guitar more now? Both. Uh, I write mm. both. And, and typically when I'm writing a song, if it starts on guitar, I'll eventually take it to the piano just mm. to see if anything else comes from it and vice versa. That makes a lot of sense because I, I play guitar and I was working on Memphis, uh, which is one of my favorite songs of yours. And I, it, it makes you. sense to me that you're a, a piano player because it feels like there's so much more, there's more extra notes that go in there than the typical singer songwriter, uh, you know, who's, who's doing that. And so when, in fact, that song I was going to ask you about, do you play that mostly on piano or guitar? Um, Memphis, I only play on guitar. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I but guess you, I could learn it on piano. That that would be fun. Uh, uh, the music nerd in me has to ask. So I, I I tried to work that up the other day, and it's uh uh it's 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 a it's a fantastic song. But it's I think it's an A is uh, uh -huh. on the recording is an A. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a like a, a B flat I think in there. Would that be a, a uh. No, there's there, a there's a B minor. Oh, is there okay B minor, which would be in key, uh, right? Yeah, two minor. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything else out of key in there, but I do like to I do like to borrow chords a lot. Yeah, but I didn't I didn't do that as much on my self titled record as a as I do in Funeral for My Past. I kind right. of got a little bit more experimental. Here, Liz and I are talking some basic music theory. Every key has notes and chords that go within the key, but as she mentions, many songwriters use notes and chords that are outside the key, or as she calls it, borrowing chords. Right. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic album. Uh, so the way we discovered you, by the way, is uh, Corby Lenker played our house, um, oh. and I was Googling videos of Corby, and of course he co-writes with everybody, I think, on yes. the planet, and... Yes. Uh, I found a lovely song that you guys did together and a video of it. So we downloaded Weightless uh, and listened to that some and liked it. And, and then when your Kickstarter came up, I jumped in at the, at the bottom, I think, you know, I, I just you. jumped in to get, to get the download. And I thought, well, I want to support Liz. I'm kind of new, but I didn't really know you or haven't listened yeah. to your music. And then when wow. that was released, I was blown away. Then we went back and got your self-titled uh, which oh, is just wow. a lovely, oh, there are so many good songs on there. Thank um, you. Camaro, 
uh, bad habit. Um, it's it's one, and I think I told you in an email, your albums and uh, Gregory Allen Isakoff. Um, if if it, it's that's a I don't know how that is as a pairing, but both of you actually provide a I tremendous amount of solace. So when we're kind Aww. of down, we put on one of your albums or one of Gregory's albums and wow. it's kind of our church music now. So that's so sweet. So. Thank you. I, I'm honored to be in his company. I find his music very soothing as well. So yeah, yeah, that means a lot. Yeah. Okay. So maybe a little more back about songwriting, because this is fascinating. Mm-hmm. So when did you first start writing songs? I was uh, going back to being home alone. My parents left on vacation, and I, I was 14 years old, and my grandmother was here, but I didn't think she could hear me, so I started writing writing uh, my first song. It was called Bye Bye Baby, about a breakup I never had, or boyfriend I never had. Just kind of made it up, and uh, I had been taking lessons on, on piano for a while, and I loved reading music and singing along, so I was really used to that but I had never just closed the songbook and tried to think of my own thing until Mm. then and then once I did it was uh it kind of just all happened very naturally my dad growing up my I mean my dad was pursuing music my parents own an insurance agency together my mom always wanted to be a singer and my dad actually studied music my grandfather was an army band leader so um there's a long lineage of music in my family so it was a natural progression for me to start recording my own music because my dad was recording himself all the time. He was in the uh. studio a lot. So I think I was 15. I, I, I don't know. I was young. And my dad, for my birthday, let me record some songs. So that's kind of where I fell in love with it. And then I was really lucky to have a great teacher in in middle school who encouraged me to, I guess it wasn't middle school, it was ninth grade, um, to perform my own music and that was that sealed the deal um just getting to play for people and the reaction it was my first time playing my own song and i got a standing ovation and i was like wow music is amazing you know (laughs) not realizing it's not an easy career but honestly it's the only thing i could ever imagine doing so when did you start singing because i know you know you have an absolutely outstanding voice with maybe some of the most range that I have listened to outside of somebody like Brandy Carlisle or, you know, thank you. Yeah. Um, gosh, I, you know, I just always was singing growing up with my mom in the car. We wanted to be the Judds, so that I was always singing, but there was, you know, once I started writing my own music, that's when, um, no, actually even before that I was in middle school when I started taking vocal lessons, I would sing a lot of like Disney songs and uh, mostly just Disney songs and Broadway songs. And then I started taking lessons from people where I just started emulating my teacher. So I take a, I take lessons from a Broadway teacher. I sound like a Broadway singer. I took lessons from an opera singer and I started sounding like an opera singer. And eventually after several vocal teachers and my parents were just like, you, you know, I think I just realized that my, I, I wasn't finding my own voice. Hmm. So eventually I stopped taking vocal lessons actually. And it wasn't until I went to Berkeley that I had voice lessons again. And that helped me just to find my way. Once I knew I was, you know, my technique was, you know, pretty much, I wasn't doing anything that would damage my voice. I think it was really important for me to just figure out what I wanted, what I sounded like without hearing anybody else. Huh. That's, uh, do you know Parker Millsap? 
Yes. Yeah. So Parker, uh, I used to live in Oklahoma. I used to live in Norman, Oklahoma for 24 years. In fact, that's, that's where I kind of got my connection to singer songwriter. Blue door. Uh, uh, No, I actually, I was in Norman at the, at the, at the depot. I don't know if you've ever played. Okay. I haven't been there, Mm -mm. but uh, yeah, it's uh, I've been to the blue door many times, but uh, um, Parker grew up just down the road. I saw him when he was 18 year old. Uh, kid and you know one of the observations that one of my friends had is that he uh, when he first started out he kept trying to be John Fulbright who of course is also a fantastic musician but then at some point Parker discovered his own amazing sound um, and the rest is is history but yeah and that's so important and I think um, I mean I even had a phase where someone someone said I sounded like Sarah McLaughlin and I was like okay I can't listen to any more Sarah McLaughlin because I don't want to get lost, you know? Right. So right. it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to, to do is to find your own voice. Sometimes it takes longer than others. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have, you have, honestly, it, it, it's amazing. And, and Lisa and I have talked about my wife. She has a lizard shirt, by the way, but she, Aww. um, we've talked about your ability to just sort of all of a sudden you're just soaring, you know, and it seems really effortlessly. I mean, it, and honestly, I'm, I'm glad you said that about your voice because when we first heard, um, uh, Brandy Carlisle, I always felt like Brandy was on the verge of blowing her throat out, you know, that it just felt like it's just, and, and, and luckily, you know, she's amazing and, and yeah. is still, uh, but, um, but when you sing at least what I've heard and I have not had the chance to see you live yet, I, I mean, it just seems effortless. I mean, it feel, it never feels like you're pressing or, or pushing or anything like that. It's just, it's just, it's lovely. So thank you. Well, my, my dad being uh, a musician, when I was growing up, I would sing for him, and we had a karaoke machine in the living room, and I would just sing Jewel or, you know, whatever whatever was big at the time. And he was, like, having my own personal Simon Cowell because he would tell me when my he didn't like my tone or I was a little bit out of tune, and he kind of helped. He was my ears. He was my mm-hmm. mirror in that way. So um, I was, yeah, that was something that I never did was push because yeah. that would have been, been called out quickly. <laughs> I'm I'm struck by the way your description of your dad and your, and your kind of music setting. How one of the things I've thought about with musicians, especially people trying to do this, is there's so many kind of self-imposed barriers. You know, there's a mm. I can't do this because of X, or that's just too daunting, or it's mysterious or magical, and it all is. But the people I've been struck by, I just had a conversation with Brooke Annabelle. I don't know if you know Brooke. I don't know her personally, but I know yeah. her. Yeah. But she's another person who grew up around musicians. And so there was like this no fear. It was like she just started messing with open tunings because there was no, you know, and, and me, I started playing guitar. But the idea of, of any kind of tuning, I get lost. You know, I can do maybe a fake drop D or something like that. But, you know, any of that open stuff. And so I'm struck by people like you who and, and I'm grateful for, for that fact that you were basically sort of just encouraged to, you know, to 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 write songs that that wasn't something that was out of your reach or to sing these different styles or to learn guitar or anything like that so i'm really really lucky that my my family was so supportive like from day one and i listen back and i I go i don't know if i could have supported that (laughs) Mm, interesting but they were so supportive and then when it came to like playing shows live um i started really young and when i had to start showing venues that I could bring people, you know, they want to just know that you can sell tickets and the Philly music scene is serious. 
And uh, my mom's one of 10 kids. My dad's one of five. So the the only way we could guaranteed like having like um, a respectable amount of people show up was to just make sure the whole family was there. So early on, my family, my family was my fan base. <laughs> That's... So I've been really lucky th- over the years to have their support. I get to sing at my cousin's weddings and yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's oh, that's just lovely. Can I ask you about sort of the digging into the songwriting process a little bit? I mean, you've already said that that for you, it, it is coming from um, there's stuff that has to be said, things that need to be explored that are just sort of need to be there. But the actual sitting down and it sounds like you start now more on guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it is this sitting down with a pad and paper? Do you have your phone handy with the memo thing, or is it? Um, and you just start. Do you start lyrically first, or do you start uh, melody wise first, or the same uh, at the same time? Yeah, you know, I used to sit down with a pad of paper and write down every chord and every word, and so I wouldn't forget. Luckily, now I'm at a place after going to Berkeley where they help you train your ears, so. I don't ever write down the chords of my songs anymore because I know that I can just list them back and I'll be able to figure it out. So that saved me some time. But um, now what I do is, like today, I had an idea and I was just, you know, tinkering around on my my childhood piano and had my phone open on voice memo and just sang into it for 30 minutes with no structure, just an idea. And nothing that I, that I, it's still forming. So I, I sing and make up melodies and chords all at the same time and mess up all over the place and just keep going. You know, it can kind of sound like a broken record for 30 minutes, you know, I'll listen back and I'll find probably three seconds of what I'm going to take into Mm. a real song. Mm. Um, but it typically just starts with an idea. Yeah. they, They always are, you know, come about they have to be like massaged to work like i'm really big on phrasing so if i'm yes if i'm stuck on a melody then the words have to make sure that they fit well enough so that mm. the listener can understand what i'm saying so i'm not like putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable because that'll mm-hmm. drive me nuts for years to come um so i'm really big on like just letting them flow until until they come together coherently I'm I'm glad you raised phrasing because I had forgotten to write that down. Uh, one of my favorite singer songwriters is Lori McKenna, uh, who I think phrases her phrasing is uh, some of the best I've ever heard. I mean, it, mm-hmm. I've even tried to work up some of her songs, and and I can't quite figure out how to do the phrasing the way she does it. Um, yeah, you actually, I was thinking about that the other day. That listening to to your albums, uh, there is just a real uh, dedication to phrasing that is is not. It's different. I mean, in in a really excellent way. I mean, I'm I'm struggling to find the words, but but I get I I'm I'm noticing that, and so that's something that you you take very seriously. I I can see that. Cool. Thank you so much. Yeah. Another thing that my dad always made a priority was phrasing he's he's a trumpet player and a saxophone player so that was always really important to him uh just even listening to an instrumentalist phrasing was important to him how you know it feels like an instrumentalist is speaking to you if they phrase beautifully and then i was lucky to go to berkeley with pat pattison who makes such an emphasis on you know 
where your lyrics just sit in a bar and how it mm. feels because of where you put them mm. and what that means and, and how you can just move it over a beat and it changes the, the meaning mm. of it. So um, it was so geeky and so much fun and it sticks with me, you know? Yeah. So you sit down with an idea and then can you, do you have a, a rough sense? And I'm guessing that this is going to vary from that first idea, like this morning session of 30 minutes of you singing and, and coming up with, how long does it take you to find something that's much closer to that finished product? I would say it's several hours. Um, you know, like today I probably got a chorus and I played for 30 minutes and that, that chorus will be refined once I find the verses, which hopefully would come in, in an hour or two's time. But there have been songs that, you know, I, I just wrote a Christmas record actually that's coming out this year. And there are songs on that record that I've been writing for four years. Huh. And I, you know, that, that had it not been seasonal, they may have never come back around and I would have never been forced to finish them. Um, but you know, they, it didn't have, like, I didn't know how to wrap it up. What is the, what is the, what am I getting at here? What is the aha moment? Or, you know, what's that chord that I'm looking for? I can't, you know, or what's, why doesn't it feel right? Why does the, you know, there's, there's one that I just kind of, rewrote like eight or nine times which is maybe one of the most i've ever done mm. um so it just kind of depends on the song right right so so writing uh funeral for my past uh the all the songs for that how long do you think it took you to write those and i'm guessing you had other songs that you had that just didn't make the album yes many many more songs i wrote like a hundred songs um that year Wow. Uh, I was co-writing a lot and that really, it was interesting. I, I, I dove into the pop world in Nashville, which is so different from anything I had really done before and wrote with all these upcoming pop writers fresh out of Belmont. Some still in Belmont and they listen to stuff that I don't listen to. Mm. And it was really outside of my wheelhouse, but it inspired me because I felt like I was in a box with them with the, in, in this genre that I'm like, Oh, there's, there's so many like rules on how to make a good pop song, you know? And then I'd go home like, oh, I feel free. I can I can write whatever chord progression I want. It doesn't have to be popular. It doesn't have to be, you know, this formula. And so um, anyway, I went off on a tangent, but I wrote a lot of songs. Okay. Um, but I would say the songs that are on Funeral From My Past over a span of time, probably a year to a year and a half of, of writing. But, mm. you know, some of them happened in one sitting. Right. Some of right. them took all some of them took all of that year and a half. <laughs> so real quick, since you raised this, I love the tangent. Um the the pop so really pop music has much more stringent kind of rules. Like I mean, like in country, I know you can go to uh, uh I mean good country, you know. Um it's common to go to like a three major, you know, in, in a uh -huh. in a country song. Um and and you've said that you like to borrow and take take some of those non-traditional you know Nashville sound out in yeah. pop music. You don't do that, is that right? Well, there are really no rules for any genre, so I don't want to put that on pop music. But in the situations that I was in, um, which I will say I greatly enjoyed, it was just a different challenge. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes we'd go into a room. There'd be three or four of us, and a loop would be created of. Mm 
couple chords that, you know, upon first listen are very easy on the ears. It's digestible. It's familiar. And so just that in itself, as soon as I got home, I just was like, there's no click. There's no grid. There's no formula. There's nothing looping. I'm going to play whatever the heck I want. And that led to songs like My Muse, you know, um, which is a song about looking for someone to inspire, (laughs) inspire more songs, hopefully. And um, I modulate in every chorus. And that was something that when I did it, I was like, ha ha, you know, it just (laughs) felt so good. I'm like, no rules, no rules. For those who don't know, modulating in this sense is changing keys within the same song. And now it's one of my favorite songs to play because it's interesting to me still. I don't tire of it. He sits on my front porch, nursing a cigarette. It's well past 5 a.m. He's wide-eyed and buzzing. Just like everybody else in this town, I'm at him at the bar. He poured out his heart. Some say it's the war, some say it's the whiskey. Mom, you. A glory in his mess He's as confused as I am About life and death And I am bound in his darkness Like he's bound to my light He's my muse I tried to paint him Though he's hard Right there's a balance you know as a as a as a performer you want to have diversity in your set so you want to have something that's really familiar easy top of the set list give somebody some everybody something that they feel like they've heard before right but then deeper in the set it's like well now i'm going to play you something that is a little bit it's going to take you a second you might not Mm -hmm. like it the first time and my muse is a song that my family actually did not like the first time and now it's their favorite song. So it's like yeah. some songs are meant to be slow burns and some are supposed to be like, hey, turn the radio on. You'll know it when you'll know it's familiar when you hear it. I love that because, I, you know, I think about one of my favorite albums is uh, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, Wilco's. Um, mm. And I didn't like that album at all when I first got it. And now yeah. I look back on that and I'm like, how did I not like these songs? <laughs> and that's that, you know, that I love that process of, Sometimes it takes a while to kind of to, to for it to seep in to get there, and then there yeah. are those other songs that, that really hit, and that, that's an excellent explanation. Yeah. Um, so one of the things you do really well, in addition to phrasing, I think, because I have written a couple of songs, my songwriting teacher in Oklahoma was always telling me to you know to find those other melodic lines that you know mine. And I, I can see this very clearly. Mine are very much the simple ones that are attached to that chord progression. And and he was always saying, look, there are all these other notes in there. There are all these other sounds in there. And I was thinking about, I, I come back to Memphis on yours. Mm-hmm. And it starts out almost in my mind, and this is probably not correct, but but it feels kind of monotony, you know, the way uh-huh. you're kind of starting into it. And there's there's a lot of variance even in the, in the verses. But then, man, when you get to the chorus, you're just... Uh, it it you're soaring and taking in places that my brain musically I love it but I would never think to do that mm-hmm. how do you is that something you worked on is that something that you were taught is that an influence uh, where does that come from I guess you know 
I'm trying to think of where it came from, but I'm definitely aware of the fact that I always want a verse to feel different than the chorus. Like when the chorus hits, you want it to feel like you've reached yeah. a point in the song yeah. that feels different. And so something that like an easy way to do that in my mind, in my approach is to make the verses really conversational. So like to work in a mm. smaller frame of notes. Okay. So if you like, like you're saying monotone, you're exactly right. Because really uh, in that verse, it's like the TV's on again. Those are two notes. You watch in the weatherman, two notes. Uh, so it's really conversational. And then right. when it's like, if it were a conversation, the peak of the conversation, the whole point is like, well, you wouldn't make it to Memphis. I know you'd come around. That has like more power. Therefore, yes. you elevate it melodically and you let it soar. You wouldn't make it to Memphis. You wouldn't make it halfway. Take that lonely road and you'll realize your mistake. You wouldn't make it to Memphis. I know you'd come around. You think of all the things that you could have done. Wonder what it was you were running from. And all you missed. You wouldn't make it to Memphis. So. That's kind of how I, when I'm thinking of what my message is in my song, it's like, how can that be supported by phrasing? How can that be supported by your chords, your rhythm, and then your melody ultimately? Do you feel like when you go back and look at your early songs, uh, is that something that you've become much more kind of attuned to as you become a better uh, songwriter? Is that? Yeah, I learned so much at Berkeley. I really did. It was, it, I, got, I, I left with so many tools, but I also left knowing that like, sometimes your gut instinct is right. Like I look back at things I did when I was younger and I might be doing some of the things that I learned at Berkeley, but I didn't know I was. So I'm a better songwriter now that I know. Right. Um, there's an awareness there. Trombone Shorty. Um, I heard oh, an yes. I heard an interview with him on NPR and he talked about going to music school uh -huh. and saying all of a sudden, there was this explanation for things he'd been doing his entire life. It was, yes. it was really, you know, and of course he's trombone shorty, which is just He is amazing. the best. Uh, uh, the song Funeral for My Past. So my wife and I were having this conversation last night. Um, you talked about when you were going to pop music, we'll talk a little bit more about some of these kind of outside influences later, but where, if someone says to you, Hey Liz, I've just met you and uh, I know you're a, a musician. What kind of music do you do? What, does that happen? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just say I'm a singer-songwriter. I don't know. You know, and that's something that I've struggled with, like, on, on the business end, especially in the music industry. They want to be able to say it's easier to just put somebody in a genre. or yeah, in yeah, a, yeah. In yeah. A, So um, that's been something that I've struggled with because I did grow up listening to, to jazz and country and singer-songwriters of the 70s. So, <laughs> yeah. And and yeah. when I'm writing, I do not filter myself. So if I'm if it feels like I'm writing a country song like Memphis, I'm going to I'm going to write that song. Yeah. And then I'm going to write something like Torture on my new record, which is I don't know, like jazz, I don't even know what that is. Yeah. Um, so I just say singer-songwriter because I sing and I write songs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it feels like you have, I, I can, I can see the difficulty for the, for the music people, but, 
for you at, in terms of gathering fans, you've got, uh, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people who listen to a lot of folk music who, who like your music. Somebody, I'm, I'm thinking of somebody like uh, Lissy, um, who, yes. who we're, we're big fans of hers. Me too. Um, and, you know, there's, there's some similarities. I mean, people who like Lissy are probably going to like you. I mean, that there's, right. you know, vocally there's, there's, um, I, I'm mindful. I never want to say you sound like X cause you sound like Liz. I mean, you, you know, you're, that's, uh, that's, uh, who you sound like, but, um, uh, that's Thank an you. interesting, I see what you're saying. Yeah. It, I, I, I feel like sometimes I've thought of it as a disadvantage, but in mm. other ways, when I think about it, it's like, well, I can open for, I could, I could open for a country act and it would be fine. I could also open for, uh, like a soul band and it would probably be fine. So maybe in that way, you know, in the future, it might pay off that I'll, that I could, you know, you know, appeal to more people, but a label, I would not be the ideal artist because I don't have a direct lane. Yeah. I, I was thinking about funeral for my past, the song, and I was listening to it last night. I was thinking there's almost a gospel element there. Um, that I've heard that. call and response almost i mean it, it's it's a it's a fantastic song it's 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 been one that i've gone to many times during this pandemic so i, I love it thank very you. much but i i think this is also a credit to your and i love this and i and i hope to encourage this that that you not wanting to feel you know bound by those labels or anything like that you're just doing uh what what you want to produce uh willie porter i i got to my wife and i went to ireland with him last year uh did a wow. innisfree tour with uh, and it was great so i got to talk to him about music and you know me being a music nerd i was but he was actually a little frustrating to talk to about music because he really can't explain his process he just does it and it's this genius that i mean he's doing this stuff on guitar i'm like where the hell did that come from he's like well i i really just do what sounds good <laughs> That's, but, but that's, I love that. I mean, that's, that's, that's following the muse and, and, uh, so about, by the way, about these, this fan base, because, uh, you know, I know a lot of singer songwriters. I've been in on a lot of Kickstarters, especially the last couple of years, you know, been in conversations with musicians about how they want to expand their, their fan base. And I mean, your Kickstarter, I mean, it's the, what you're one of the most, uh, one of the biggest, funding on there you start out looking for what 45 grand and got over 150,000 or something like that yeah exactly now when i see somebody do a successful kickstarter not not yours like a superstar one but just getting you know just getting to the finish line that always tells me that they have understood how to appeal to their fans to keep their fans that fan retention it's not just enough to actually say oh i like you 
mm-hmm. but that they, they, they have a connection to you. And clearly you have developed a fan base because that was an astonishing response. Um, that just, so, so how, I mean, besides being, I mean, I've asked around about you, by the way, just out of curiosity, when I first started listening to you, everybody says you're such a nice person and that, you know, you're, you're clearly a good human. And so that helps, by the way, it really does help. (laughs) But how, how have you cultivated that fan base? I think years of touring, my, Mm. my, my goal has always been to play shows. Like that's the thing that feeds my soul just to get to meet people and, connect to humans like that that's what keeps me going that's my why is to let people know that they're not alone and whatever they're going through just create relationships with fans it's my favorite part and I think that years of doing that and just spending my life on the road like Mm. a decade on the road helped me create those relationships and those people are the ones that showed up for me so it was it was remarkable the fourth they made me the fourth most funded female in in Kickstarter history. So yeah, it's hard to wrap my head around sometimes. Well, I, I realized it the other day. I was like, wow, like last year I had a Kickstarter that raised $150,000. I thought that is so, so yeah. insane. I, I still yeah. have moments where I'm like, pinch me. Um, and because of them, I was able to hire my own team for the first time mm. and invest in my career, you know, right. and it was it was such a great feeling, such a great feeling. Well, and and obviously the touring is a big part of that, but Thank I'm so impressed much, with your ability to connect with fans, and I think that um, is that's 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 bigger in many ways than just creating good music, which you do. Um, is that that personal connection? So yeah, I don't think you can fake it either. It's like I think I've correct. talked to friends who are like, I hate that part, and I'm like. <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> like, that's my favorite part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I-, I love playing music, but if I didn't get to share it with anyone and like feel less alone in, in whatever I'm going through, then I don't know. I just know, I just know growing up, listening to music, hearing someone sing my feelings back at me was mm validating and if i can do that for someone else it's the greatest feeling and i've met so many incredible people i too am a homebody you're saying mary bragg's a homebody i am an introvert i'm a homebody but when it comes to getting to play a show and after show that is the moment that i look forward to the most Mm. always have i don't know what it is about that but i always have oh there was there was a line from and now i'm forgetting which song it was um learning to forgive myself i think um Oh, yeah. oh, the hardest part is forgiving uh, myself. That um that's one that touched me. So that was one that when I when I heard that the first time, um so thank you. But, thank you so much. Um, thank you. Okay, the way I've been ending the podcast um is three questions that I ask everybody and I stole this okay. from Brené Brown um before oh, she went to nice. before she went to Spotify. Um <laughs> but um I just want to note Spotify has not been knocking on my door asking me. (laughs) Anyway, not yet. um, Not yet. Not yet. That's right. So, I mean, I don't have 10 questions and they're not rapid fire. So feel no need to, to be uh, um, uh, rapid about it, but where I'm starting with, and especially for somebody who listens to, is that your dog? Yeah. Sorry. Yes. No, no, that's fine. My actually, my, I have a border collie who's, who insists on being in the room whenever I'm doing a podcast, she'll knock on the door. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, so the first question is this singer, the songwriter that makes your jaw drop. Mm. God, there are so many. Exactly. I understand that. So, you know, it it could be. First one that comes to mind, Lori McKenna. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anybody else come to mind just as you're, when you were thinking, Lori? There was someone and now it's gone. (laughs) For me. Johnny Mitchell. Johnny Mitchell's like my, she's like my original inspiration of all things. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the second question, which you may have already answered, but uh, uh, we'll dig back into it. I've been thinking about this idea of people who listen widely to stuff that they themselves would not play, but that that stuff influences maybe how they write, and and maybe in a very you know subconscious way. It doesn't have to be a you know a conscious kind of appropriation or anything like that, but just. Maybe listening. Uh, so Mark Arelli, for example, said blues in a way that I did not expect that that mm-hmm. is something that he had listened to that he thought would. Is there a genre or maybe an artist of somebody that you would probably would not do that style, but that that's influenced maybe something with uh, rhythm or hook or phrasing? Yeah, I mean, jazz is a huge mm-hmm. part of what I grew up listening to. And I've always dreamed of one day making a jazz record. Or, <laughs> but, you know, I just... I don't venture there very often, but yeah. but it's a huge part of what I grew up listening to. Can you like when you're when you're playing piano? Can you can you do kind of jazzy kind of jazz chords I, that kind of stuff? I'm I'm more of a jazz vocalist than a jazz piano player. Oh, okay. I used to okay. take jazz piano lessons, but it didn't stick. But I also did like scatting classes and oh. just improvising vocally, and I loved that. Um, so that would be where I would want to explore if I had like no, you know, if I didn't have all the songs in my head all the time, I would go back to the standards and just, you know, just have fun with that. That, that would be, you mean, you mean you get them in your head and then you can't get them out? I just mean like, I feel like I'm really dedicated to the path of the career that I'm on Oh, gotcha. and I don't know how that fits in. So I'm like, I have my own songs. My- Last question. Um, and I'll, I'll feel, uh, uh, I'll tell you later, uh, why I feel apologetic about this, but, um, okay. the question is, do you have a guilty pleasure music? Oh, I mean like anything from the nineties, I feel like isn't cool anymore, but it's, Oh, I love it so much. I love country from the nineties, like all that stuff. I grew up listening to it. So, but I would say it probably isn't perceived as cool right now. So, that would be why I'm guilty about it. So, but so I, I love it. Who who would be those? I mean, are we talking Garth Brooks? Um, uh... Actually, I had this weird thing growing up where I just liked female vocalists. The hmm. only male vocalist I liked in the country world was Vince Gill. Yeah. Oh, there's one more. I liked Alan Jackson. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I was really like. Just the Dixie Chicks, Martina McBride, Jamie O'Neill, um, the Judds. I mean, my mom and I thought we were going to be the Judds when we grew up. I love um, that. Just all that good stuff. Well, honestly, this has been just a, a real pleasure for me to chat with you. I am, uh, as you know. know, we are just such huge fans, and um, and I'm really only grateful for the pandemic in the sense that it gave me a chance to chat with you. And now I want so desperately for you to get back out to Colorado. Thank you, Brad, for all you do. And thanks for your time today. Thanks for tuning in. 
You can find links in the podcast details and hope that you will find ways to support musicians and artists during this hard time. We need our poets and truth tellers now more than ever. See you next time on Music at Three Pines, the podcast. I know it.